they listened. Well, at least y'all got quiet when I when I was talking loud and the. Uh, There's coffee in there. I just made another pot. I just came out. For, for anyone that needs more coffee, there is some more in there, Art. Uh, I did make another pot. I, I, I didn't make the 24-cup great big old thing takes forever to do, so I do two 12-cups, and sometimes I don't get out soon enough to try to get it all full. So for you all that are coffee drinkers... You will not offend me if you get up and go get a cup of coffee, but you would if you get up and go out the back door. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's take a moment before we start and let's ask God's blessing on our time. Okay, let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We're so grateful for a beautiful day. We're grateful for a good night's rest. Lord, there's so many blessings you give us that we don't even recognize. We ask now, Father, that you just bless us with your word. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Well, I get to follow up Chance's talk on contentment. Again, we're studying the ordinary book by Michael Horton. And we moved from radical and restless section, which is section one, into the section that is um, ordinary and content. So Chance started off with contentment, and now I get to follow up. And the title of my uh, chapter is, We Don't Need Another Hero. How does contentment and how does this fit in being content and ordinary? We don't need another hero. Well, Horton goes through uh, a lot of different things, but I want to sort of talk about my childhood. I loved Daniel Boone. For you young ones, you just don't know what you missed. Fess Parker was the best Daniel Boone you can imagine. You know, tall, he was six five. You know, coonskin cap and buckskins and. I wanted to be Daniel Boone. I even got a little mus- play mu- cap musket. I didn't, couldn't get my mom to do the coonskin cap. She would not go that far. But I really, I, I, I loved Daniel Boone. Now, as I got older, I got into sports. I loved basketball. Jerry West was my hero there. I mean, the dude could shoot the lights out as a guard. And... He was everything I wanted to be when it came to a basketball player, and it looked like he had it all together, too, you know, off the court. And there were others, too. Um, my question is, what attracts us to our heroes? And that's not rhetorical. I'm opening it up for the floor. What attracts us to our heroes? You see something in them that you like and you want to aspire to. Art? I go about the same thing. They do extraordinary things and that's attractive. So there's certain things within individuals that we sort of hold up as heroes 
that we identify with. And usually they're good. Yes. I would hope that they're traits that we want to try to include into our life or be like, right? That's true. John Wayne. I watched all his movies and several times over my wife looks at me and she goes, you've already seen this ten times. I go, yeah, but it's, you know, it's still good. Um, the Alamo, I still like the original Alamo. Anyway, okay, so it's something that we actually identify with, something that we want to emulate from those people or, or live up to. And we do need, unlike what Horton even admits in the chapter, we need heroes. We need people to look up to. Um, what has our culture done to our heroes or the idea of heroes? Faults. They tear them down? That's true. In some ways, that's true. What do they substitute? Sure. So they're pointing out all the failings of, our, of the heroes. Then what does the culture substitute for the hero? Okay. And so it's a right to have the person who once was a woman, a man, a man, a woman. You know, so the va- so value structure does inform this. And the other thing is, if you can't find anybody that's that's actually human, you make them superhuman. You know, or, or they, fantasy. Yes. Wrong. That or the false premise of why you pursue it anyway. Wrong is right and right and wrong. Okay. That's culturally. You're right. That's culturally. From a Christian standpoint, do we do the same thing? What are what are our Christian heroes? What? Billy Graham. Okay. John MacArthur. Amy Carmichael. Tell me about Amy Carmichael. Oh, she worked in India for fifty years. How long ago? Never heard of her. Let's go back further. Keep going back. You said what goes back further? Go back further. Jonathan Edwards, okay. Let's go back biblically. David. Daniel. Have you ever been told in Sunday school to be a Daniel? You need to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Yes. 
musicians. Okay. So from a Christian standpoint, we do the same thing. There's three, there's three reasons why we don't need to do that. First of all, the stories themselves, the Daniels, the, the biblical stories, they don't show their life as that glamorous as what we make it. They fall short. It shows they also need a Savior. It also shows how we have to see how the New Testament interprets some of those biblical stories. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Someone turn to that and read that section real quick. I'm going to try not to do this too much. And if someone would turn to Hebrews 11. First of all, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Dennis, I can see you got it. They were examples for us, but examples of what not to do. Hebrews 11. And some people have called this chapter what? The Hall of Fame. Faith's Hall of Fame. Someone read, let's, let's read the chapter. It's going to take a little time, but let's read this chapter. Hebrews 11. Someone have it start reading. Okay, Tom.
Let me stop you right there. I'm going to summarize from here. He says, by faith, Abraham, he talks about when he offers Isaac. He goes on and says, by faith, Moses, when he was born and he was hidden. And then it goes on, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. And then he goes on and says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from from us, they should not be made perfect. So Hebrews 11, the reason I wanted to actually read part of that is by the, the framework that we have in our minds and the eyeglasses that we view that through, a lot of times it's culturally. So we start as Christians building them up in certain ways and God held forth a promise to them and they're commended by their faith. Al Mohler <clears throat> stated that he repeats the phrase in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, by faith because the structures, the text, to avoid the, this idea of moralizing their lives. And that's what how Al Mohler sort of goes after that in his commentary on Hebrews, which I think was very informative to me because if we pay attention to that, then we will be less likely to moralize these people's lives. Now, we've also done that culturally in how we witnessed. I, I have to go back to... Um, I'll... I'll how we share our faith also plays into this. But the other thing that I want to back up before I go to that, in Genesis, in our study that we're having on Sunday morning for the men's study, one thing that's really been come at, coming out, and Dennis has really emphasized that, is the life that all of these people's lives are is in progress of sanctification. God's bringing them along in their lives in a process so at the end, like such as Abraham, he didn't ask him to offer Isaac at the beginning. But later, after he's, he has walked with the Lord a while, and the Lord has brought him along. Now, the other part, of, the other part that we have that's difficult is when we exhaust, and this is what Horton says, when we exhaust the Christian models within, and we've talked about all these people, we moralized about their lives, then what do we do? Well, we reach out and say, well, we're a Christian nation. So the founding fathers. So we start, we start building up our founding fathers to say, well, these were great men of the faith and they made us a Christian nation. What is the reality of this? Is that true? Was Benjamin Franklin a Christian? Was was Thomas Jefferson a Christian? Were there Christians around them? Who, who did, which founding father had a close relationship with Whitfield? Benjamin Franklin. And Whitfield was witness to Franklin all the time when they would get together. So they were influenced 
but they were not Christians. But we tend to want to build that up and build up our founding fathers into, into Christians when they're really not Christians. And, and so he sort of talks about, Horton does, how as evangelicals, we tend to sort of get caught up in trying to make heroes out of people, Christian heroes out of people that are not necessarily Christian. And someone also mentioned movie stars, athletes, these kind of individuals that we hold up. I did that. Uh, We try to find and use their hero status, such as when I would share Christ, I was roommates with Rodney Betts. Some of you all know Rodney. He goes to Christ's covenant. We were Felix and Oscar. He was real neat. You know what I was. God bless my wife. She's still working on me, and I'm getting better. But he was really involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. The strategy that he wanted to put forth is to go after these popular athletes or people on campus, get them saved, and then everyone else will follow along. I sort of call that the Christian's version of multi-layer marketing. Doesn't work real well for me. And I was, I was one to, I didn't follow along with what he wanted to do. I was sort of his thorn in the side, but for a wrong reason. That was not a good Christian motivation. But we actually do that. You can see how we go after what we think is popular to try to attract, you know, people to the gospel. The other thing is we actually do that with pastors, too. We sort of lift them up. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't show that these godly men are great men, and we, we love to hear about them, but sometimes we put them on such a pedestal that we set them up for a fall or for ourselves in disappointment. They are people that are also saved by faith and need grace as well. And then let's move this into the church. So we start dividing things out by demographics. I was part of the youth ministry at the church for years. And I always resisted trying to pull these youth apart and make their own little tribe out of it. And our philosophy ministry of the church, they didn't want us to do that, which I think was very right. At the same time, the youth... What do they want? Well, I would hear a tr- mantra sometimes from them say, "Youth is for the youth group is for the youth." Where was their focus? Me. This is this is about me. If we start doing that at the exclusion of what do we do to our heroes? Well, we make them current with us most of the time. The other part of it is, in youth group, why not trot out a, a godly, older saint that's been walking with the Lord a long time? Why does that not fit, the, fit our idea of a hero? It is ordinary. Yeah. And I think that's what he's going after. Okay. That's the introduction. Three quarters of my time to do the introduction.
and I knew it would. But I felt like we needed to go through that because the underpinnings that he goes after now, he goes after ordinary callings, cultural transformation, or loving your neighbor, or loving service. He, the call for radical transformation in our culture from evangelicals, and also for non-Christians as well, but for it distracts from the central focus of Christ in the gospel. The gospel has to be something more. If we need to try to radically transform our um, society, then we need to go beyond that. And you see this go in, motif going in even into the kingdom. Well, we're going to make God's kingdom. We're going to bring it in. We're going to make God's kingdom right now. We're, we're going to build it. So where's our focus with this? In that kind of attitude, I'm not saying we have that. I've been caught up with that at different times. Our focus is on ourselves. Focus on what I can do. It's not on Christ. Now, I don't want to say that it's not totally on Christ, but it does distract us because it's my work. It's my ministry. I'm building, I'm building my kingdom in some ways. Sort of in opposition. So where's the focus when you start looking at it that way? Where's the identity? What is our identity supposed to be? That's right. That's right. It's, it's the analogy that Christ gave of the vine and the branches. We are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. So it's important. It's not what things I do that determines who I am. Our service should flow out of our faith in Christ and our identity of that. Does that make sense? It's important because otherwise it starts looking like our effort is the only thing that's going to make a radical change here. So, radical views of cultural transformation actually harm our calling in the world at times. And he goes into... um, If we offer these works, our works to the Lord, for reimbursement by him, what have we done? We've added to the gospel. It's a works orientation. I'm going to do this for God. God's going to reimburse it for this. So what does it it mean to, to redeem our workplace? First and foremost, it starts with our own heart and the working of the gospel in our own heart. It's more about as God works within us, 
as that is transformative in our hearts, it flows out in service, both in our workplace and also the transformation of myself and being salt and light in my workplace. Reform in our theology of culture. And he goes after the Christian right movement in this. What I just said is the gospel working out. If we try to do that backwards, we're going to transform our culture. And the Christian right did this in the 80s. And we, you know, I mean, there was a huge movement. And a lot of people got on board. And it did great harm. Because it wasn't done, I think, in a proper way. It was, it was very self-seeking. And uh, it backfired. So our biblical convictions shape our approach to all these questions that I've been asking. And the big questions of life as well. So what does that tell us? First of all, it tells us where our heart is when we start re-examining some of these issues. And that's why, you know, the thing I've been, I've been reading this, highly recommend it. The Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges, really a treatise on sanctification. Wonderful, wonderful book. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So it's the gospel that we have to preach to ourselves. The other part of it, too, is Matthew sixteen eighteen, Hebrews twelve twenty eight, which really talks about already Christ. His kingdom has come, but not yet. We're living in between the two advents of Christ right now. He came and died, and he rose again. The kingdom has come, but not yet, because he hasn't come back to take us and to make all things right. Our hope is in the gospel not only in the cultural sense in this world right now, but also our very, for our very souls and our sanctification. So, it's much easier to try to think about tr- radically transforming your culture in the ways that we were talking about before in a cultural sense than it is to love your neighbor. That's what Horton goes after. It is easy to turn other people into instruments of our ambition 
rather than loving them for their own sake as fellow image bearers of God. Our identity is already determined by our being in Christ, our union with him. It's not by our accomplishments, it's by his grace. Out of that flows what we do through the power of the Spirit. I want to read you just a section. I couldn't say it any better. What he says here. We don't need another hero. We need a Savior. One who possessed no form or majesty that we should look at him and yet bore our sins. In fact, we need to be a be saved from our own hero worship, whether of ourselves or others. Jesus Christ never disappoints us because he is not simply someone to look up to because of his achievements, but as someone to trust because everything that he achieved was for us. And we need a communion of saints as he chosen and redeemed us and for, and for us. We need ordinary believers of every generation, race, social, economic background to whom we were united by baptism to one Lord, one faith, one spirit. We simply need ordinary pastors to deliver the word of life and its sacraments faithfully, elders to guide us to maturity and deacons to help keep the temporal gifts circulating in the body. The actual churches we know are often the most difficult places in the world, especially if we are creative, ambitious, and drawn towards novelty. The patient discipline of belonging to a community, preferably the same local community over a long period, is difficult for those of us that were born after 1964. Church growth analysis often tells us that Brand loyalty is a thing of the past, and churches will just have to catch up with the fact that as they told us that niche churches grow faster because people like to worship with those who are like them, ethnically or generationally or socioeconomically, we have become Corinth, and it's written all over us. Corinth, meaning... 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that church was not well thought of, or at least they weren't a good example. The last thing I just want to leave you with, and this sort of hit me in some of my reading, is Ecclesiastes 9. You could turn there if you're... I find Ecclesiastes sometimes hard to, to read at times. But this hit me, and I think it fits this because of what we tend to go after at times. 9, 11 through 16, again I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. 
but time and chance happens to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish, they are taken in the evil net, and the birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man see if I got this right, are snared at an evil time. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It seems great to me there is a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, built great siege works against it, but there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say, wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words were not heard. The ordinary means of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is a magnificent thing transforming us and by his grace preparing us for something that is going to be much greater than us. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Most of all, Father, I'm so grateful for your son. The magnificence of his sacrifice, life, all things being held together by him. Father, we recognize we are idol worshipers. We make idols out of everything. I ask, Father, that you, by your grace and mercy, continue to uncover those in our lives and through the power of the gospel, lay them at the foot of the cross. We thank you for his sacrifice, and we pray this in his name. Amen. I got 10 minutes. Who wants to? Absolutely. Are you hearing ordinary as being passive? No, but you're you're exactly right, Roxanne. This is the thing that I think drives this. That's why I recommend this. It is for me personally one of the best works on sanctification I've ever read because you're right we are called to good works what is what is the power that's going to accomplish that is it me it's the Holy Spirit that and what's the Holy Spirit's job to sanctify us to point to Christ right we heard that from Chandler, those guys that are going to the Apostle Creed on Chandler. Just wait. It's going to blow your socks off. But he points to Christ and those kind of things. And this is what Bridges goes after. And you hear this from Horton. 
you, I can understand why you could say that this is passive and we shouldn't do that. But the flip side is, is where he's responding is, is what we have made in going outside of what the Holy Spirit's and God's admonitions for us. We are supposed to be radical in the sense that I'm not supposed to, I'm a pilgrim in this world. But it's born out of our love for Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of that is to, is to share and to go out. What you did for those little girls yesterday was, was born out of love. You saw it. I agree. Tell me your experience, Rob. Superfluous, yeah. It's lost. To Christ. That's right. So, so you preach the gospel to yourself. Let me ask you something. When you do that, and as you're living in, in that light, what did it prompt you? What does it prompt you to do? Besides reaching for your for the for the Muslim right sitting right next to you, she mentioned it just briefly. You stepped out of your comfort zone not very long ago. It drives you to do things 
not out of a sense that I want to offer this to God as a reimbursement for something else or that I, I need to earn my salvation, but it's born out of love. That's your motivation. And the fight that we have between my personal peace and comfort and reaching others for Christ is a battle we all face. Brad. Right, because, and I think that's where he's getting at, it's easier to go ahead and go drill wells in Africa and help the needy in that way and try to transform that culture in some sort of way than it is to love your neighbor that's sitting next door to you. Or raise your kids. Or raise your kids. I'm not saying that drilling wells in Africa is not a good thing. It absolutely is. But we have to recognize what our calling would be. Blake? does and and the fuel source of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ you're talking about sacrificing you know there is, and, and Roxanne, that's what you're saying too. And it's all, it is something that we have to battle against in our own peace and comfort in our society. Um,
Well, in the Christian model, too, you know, you can, you can start trying to be ascetic and make yourself more Christian, too. Um, guys, thank you. Um, this is a conversation, and this is also a way of thinking as we preach the gospel to ourselves. That is born fruit, and it will continue. And worshiping for my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's nothing better, and it will be even better when we get to heaven. So, anyway, time's up. Y'all are dismissed.